Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Can you imagine transforming your struggles with body image, emotional eating, and self-acceptance? How powerful would that journey be? Join me today as I speak with Dr. Ali Nowitzki, a physician turned coach who did exactly that, and discover the life-changing strategies she has to share with us today. Ellie delves into the deep connection between emotional and physical health, exploring the power of techniques like exercise and dialectical behavior therapy to regulate emotions and improve overall well-being. And in my favorite part of the interview, it's around minute 28, Ellie shares her expertise on genetics, revealing how understanding our unique genetic makeup can help us manage emotions, break through our limiting beliefs, and even tackle emotional eating. With a focus on optimal health strategies and mindset work, Ellie highlights the importance of trusting the process and building a loving relationship with ourselves. She truly embodies the power of transformation. So, Tune into this conversation to learn valuable insights on embracing our truest selves, overcoming our emotional eating, and achieving our best health. Welcome, Dr. Ali Nowitzki. We are so excited to have you here, and I can't wait to get into all of the magic you're going to share with us about our genes and health and emotions but first, we just want to start with who you are. So tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to be where you are today? Who is Allie? Oh, I love that so much. That's such a great question. Okay, so there's so much to say here, but I guess what I'll start with is when I was five years old. So my dad, he's an internal medicine doctor and he practiced, he still practices, he's 75, but in upstate Pennsylvania. And he is basically Doc Hollywood. So he made house calls. His office was in our house. And from the time I was five, I decided I was going to be a doctor. So mm -hmm. made that decision. And actually, I have two brothers and they made the same decision. We decided we were going to be doctors. So I didn't really think outside of that box. I just kind of had my eye on the prize and knew that that's what I was going to do. And so, you know, the twists and turns of what happened between the time of five years old and then 18 years old when I went to college to kind of start that next part of going into the schooling of then getting into medical school and doing all the things, I had some pretty significant work I had to do because I was an overweight kid and I was on diets from a very early age and had a lot of body image issues. And I think one of my I don't want to say defining, but it but really yes, defining is just this struggle with body acceptance and just really embracing the diet culture very early on. And what I realized as I went through, you know, I became an expert at every single nutrition strategy out there. You know, that was my hobby. <laughs> like I didn't do anything 
like I didn't play the piano, I read nutrition books. And so the idea is that it was kind of this obsession that I de- developed a little bit. I went to college, I did play a division one sport in college, because I excelled, thank goodness at athletics, because that's the way I was able to start accepting my body. And then by the time I got to college, there was some major emotional turmoil that happened. I had a coach who was psychologically abusive. I mean, he really was. And it was, it threw me, like I've never had controversy in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so I was dealing with not being happy with myself physically. I was an emotional mess and I had zero tools. Well, what happened was I still pursued my dream. I still got into medical school. And once I hit medical school, I started to gain more confidence. And what I decided is I was going to start breaking rules because diet culture was never going to work. Embracing the diet culture was not really authentically who I was. And so how can I figure out how to do it differently? And so I took all the knowledge that I learned through all the different things. And I really found a way to find just mindful, intuitive eating with some structure. And what happened was I wound up over, I would say the time I left college to when I started medical school, I lost about 50 pounds. Okay. And this took about a year, but again, and it was very loving. It started with compassion and it was just very mindful. And so that was great. I then pursued intensive care for newborns. So I became a neonatologist. After I finished my pediatric residency, I then did more training to be this intensive <laughs> care specialist. And about that time, I uh, I married my med school sweetheart. So he's actually a psychiatrist. And then we had our first daughter right when I finished my fellowship. So you figure that's after medical school, which is four years, pediatric residency is three years, neonatal fellowship is three years. Mm. So about 10 years later, we had our first daughter. And it was at that time where I then realized that part of my purpose really was to be a mom. And I had this conflict for the first time between wanting to pursue what I wanted to do professionally, and then also wanting to be, you know, my mom, she stayed at home, like that was the example I had. So how can I kind of find that that rhythm, that balance? So I did my best. My mother-in-law actually became our nanny for the first year to really help out. Now, mind you, I still didn't have any tools. It wasn't until we realized I had postpartum depression that I went to a CBT psychologist, so cognitive behavioral therapy. And for the first time ever, I started developing tools. So this was about, I was about 31 years old at this point. And I realized, wow, this is magic. And I don't know what happened, but something happened where I had this realization that medicine full-time practice was not going to be my career. It just, it literally hit me because my passion was really health, preventative health, being that best optimal version of ourself. And while I loved what I was doing, I was treating, right? Like, so the problem would come and I would treat the problem versus like, how can we create this expansive existence where we're just being healthy, as healthy as we can possibly be. So Fast forward ahead, I was in attending for several years, five years, working every other weekend, every other holiday, grinding it out. We had five nannies, I swear. My husband was super busy with five different practices, and it just was not who I was supposed... It's not who I was supposed to be. It didn't feel authentic. So I wound up getting a job in kind of, I would say, more the business side of medicine. And I took the job because it was you know, no holidays, no weekends, better pay, and just a structured schedule. Mm -hmm. Great. Awesome. So at this point, I now had my second daughter. 
Okay. So it was this whole big transition. I knew something was coming, but I didn't know what. And I took the job. I was really bored, very bored. I was like, there's no way that this is my forever. Mm. However, I love a little bit of the freedom, a little bit of the freedom. I mean, I was still very structured and scheduled. And I went to this retreat for women physicians. This is 2018 now, 2018. And I met a woman who is a physician who was a coach who did cognitive coaching. And I was like, what in the heck is this cognitive coaching thing? Well, it turns out that the coaching that she was certified in utilized all CBT principles, which Mm -hmm. I was very much in love with my husband being a psychiatrist and he's a therapy first psychiatrist using CBT and DBT. And then I was like, are you kidding me right now? That's what I'm going to do. And so I pursued becoming a coach. This was in 2018. And within six months, I had my first program. Mm. It was called actually Mind Body Marriage. And everybody thought it was a relationship program, but actually it was when your mind marries your body, mind body marriage. Yeah. So long story short, that was my first brand. And what I can tell you is that my passions for mental health, emotional health, physical health, social health, the empowerment of that, especially as women, has driven my programs for the past six years. So I've been in my business full time for the past six years. And we have evolved and it is amazing. And I have found my passion all starting with having a bad body image. It all started there. And now I get to help women be the best, most authentic versions of themselves. So I help them honor who they are. I let them, you know, that's why I use genetics. That's why I use science. Because if I can talk to somebody and say, listen, great. I love the picture that you want to look like that's not your body type. So let's throw that in the garbage and let's start from scratch. Let's start with compassion first. And so I think that it's been an amazing experience. My pain has turned into wisdom. And that's, I would say, a little bit about my origin story. Mm, That was so beautiful and so powerful just hearing. And this is what I love about podcast conversations is it's not always linear of this is how I got there. What I heard you say was I took this step and then the next step and then this pivot and then this step and then this happened in my life, which influenced where I went next. So it's it was a really, really beautiful, powerful story of how you got where you are and the emotion. So it sounds like you started to get a handle on the physical health before the emotional health. Would you agree? Oh, totally. I thought that they were all sub. In fact, no, let me be honest. I didn't even know there was such a thing as emotional health. Yeah. I literally thought I walked around my whole life completely emotionally dysregulated and I had no clue. And then when I started to learn more about it, I still had them separate. I knew the mind body thing, but the emotional piece kind of like hung out. Cause think about it. Nobody yeah. wants to really dive into the emotional realm. Where do you start with that? How does it connect? Like in the work that you're doing and what you're seeing with your clients, like how does the emotional piece come into play? So if we're separating the mind and the body, like what is the emotional piece for you? I love this question. It's really, really cool because what you just said about the journey and the twists and turns and pivots, I wouldn't have answered this question the same way two years ago. What I think it is, is the idea of being able to emotionally regulate ourselves, which means we have to get out of our head and into our body. Mm 
And we have to be aware of our level of dysregulation. So I use a stress scale essentially. But the idea is that then let's just go ahead and just go through a quick example, like one through 10. So 10 is completely dysregulated. You are like having symptoms that are just really, really not great. (laughs) Like you are beside yourself. And then one is you are in a cabana drinking a pina colada, essentially, if you can imagine, you know, how you're feeling. And so the idea is that when we are at stress levels of seven, eight, nine, 10, we're going to be really dysregulated. And so the idea is that we cannot actually access our wise brain. So this is really um, the concept of dialectical behavioral therapy, the idea. And I love DBT because it has an emotional focus completely. Mm -hmm. And it's a derivative of CBT, but it focuses on the emotions. But the idea is that if we are dysregulated, we can't access the thoughts that we really need to believe to live our most optimal lives, our best lives. Mm. So where the emotional component comes in, if I can help people get to levels of four, three, two, one, then our brain is going to be able to be working much, much better in terms of generating thoughts. And we know our thoughts are going to eventually create our results, right? Because they're going to control our actions. And so the beautiful thing is that I institute techniques for emotional regulation. And one of the biggest ones that I use is actually exercise. And so a lot of people think, you know, like exercises to, let's just put it this way. Exercise can help you reduce almost every chronic illness out there, number Mm -hmm. one. But number two, you know, instead of being in the diet culture and using it as a form to change how our body looks, Let's use it to change how our body feels. Mm -hmm. And so the exercise component, in fact, when I first started, my coaching calls would start with a workout. I would help people to get as regulated as possible. And then we would go into the coaching call. So the real answer is that by being really aware of that emotional side first, we're going to be able to connect with our thoughts more. And then our mind and our body is going to be more willing to want to connect together. I love that. I've never heard anybody say it in that way of pairing. I've never thought of a coaching call having a workout first, but it kind of, it makes sense of why retreats, I always all start with yoga, then move into meditation. Then so it's that. And I love the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And so I am right there with you. I talk about it on this podcast all the time. The number one way to move emotions through the body is physical. It's physical, whatever that looks like for you. So I love how you, the way that you said it in this connection, because I think not a lot of people are talking about them so connected. I think we get in trouble when it's like, we're going to only deal with the physical body or we're only going to deal with the mental part or we're only going to deal with the emotional part. But what I'm hearing you say is, I'm guessing that all of them will have roadblocks to the other components. So if you're not dealing with your emotions and moving some of the emotions through the body, you're probably not getting the physical or mental the benefits in that way if the emotions are not being tended to. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And actually, you bring up a really good point. And I don't know, but if there's even any coaches out there listening, one of the things that's, it's, this is a little trick for real. 
So if you have somebody come in and they are spiraling out of control with what they're telling you and their thoughts, and it's like they're, you can feel the heat, right? They have this heated tone and they're, they're going, they're going fast, they're going fast. Don't even try to coach them. Do not even try. Just let them talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they have to come down about four levels before you're going to even be able to get anywhere. Yeah. So don't waste the energy. That's a time where you let them go because the idea is they're not going to, and I'll tell you why they're doing it. So they're so heated, right? And they're so dysregulated that they, the emotions, they're noticing them, but they're dysregulated that they wouldn't even be willing to want to allow them in. So the way that we work this is that many people avoid the emotional work. And that's the people, those are the ones that are coming back to you week after week, and they're still dealing with the same thought Mm -hmm. because they can't go to how badly that thought makes them feel. You have to go there. Like you have to say, okay, this is my thought. I'm aware. And this is how it makes me feel. And I can feel that emotion. And so the other thing too, is you need to give people strategy to how to feel the emotion because people say, Oh, feel your feelings. It's like, okay, great. And how in the heck do I do that? And so the technique and really what we know to be true is that if we can recognize, we have to decrease the intensity of the emotion. So if we recognize the emotion, so where is it in our body, right? A lot of times you can't say what the emotion is, but you can start to describe it. And then the more we do this and we can describe and put colors and shapes and movements to these emotions, eventually we'll be able to name them. And when you name an emotion, it's going to, right? You can decrease the intensity of that emotion. It's actually 50%. Yeah. So then the other really cool trick is if you, if you can get somebody to name the emotion, they're like, I'm, I'm pissed, I'm angry. Mm -hmm. And they can say that they've already decreased. Then 90 seconds is the magic window. Yes. If we can wait 90 seconds and allow that in, a human can only feel max intensity for 90 seconds. You're going to decrease the intensity even more, probably about another 50%. So now you have somebody who has a much lower intensity of the emotion. And that's, it's kind of like when you're introducing food to toddlers, it's like, okay, here's a pea, have the pea. You're not giving them a cup of peas, right? So it's like, okay, here's a little bit of the emotion. You feel that it's not, you got it. You got this. Here's here's two peas. Here's a little bit more. Great. See, you're safe. And so this is how we go about the process of starting to allow those feelings in. You are speaking my love language, which that's, I keep wondering, like, is it so important that I keep going through? So every other week I'm highlighting an emotion from Atlas of the Heart or a handful of emotions from Brene Brown. So my goal with this podcast is to go through and help identify and name and label 87 emotions. And sometimes I'm questioning like, okay, does it really matter? And you just continue to give that validation to me, which is when we first have the awareness, okay, you may not know what you're feeling, but you know you're feeling something. So it starts with the awareness. And then the labeling and the identifying can actually help us decrease the intensity of the emotion. And what I'm also hearing you say is a little while back about the mental component, which I would love for you to explain a little more because I was having a ding, ding, ding moment. And so there are certain thoughts we can't over... This is new. So I'm just processing, trying to figure this out of where, where you were going with this. When we have these limiting beliefs or this negative self-talk, these things going on in our mind, 
if we're not tending to the emotions, that is harder to override. Am I getting this at all? There was just a little piece in there that I want to pull that thread. Like, tell me about this. Totally. Yes, this is so good. Okay. So actually, if you look at my logo, it's a triangle. It's a delta. And that's because delta means change. And actually, the CBT triad is a triangle because CBT, what it says, and this is the pure definition of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, your thoughts create your feelings, create your behaviors. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's this triangle and it's this loop. Now we we know to go one way. We know that our thoughts create our feelings create our behaviors. But the other thing I want to offer is that our feelings can also create more thoughts. So if you're feeling really anxious, right? So let's say that you're you're thinking, oh my goodness, the gate is open and the dog just went outside and you feel really anxious, Yep. right? Because you're thinking the dog's going to run away and you're feeling anxious. Well, that feeling of anxiety. So our brains are smart and they want to try to clump everything together. So if you're feeling anxious, your brain is going to run through every other thought that you've ever thought of. Well, not all of them, but several thoughts that you've thought of before that have made you anxious because it likes to compartmentalize it. So the idea, what we're saying is that limiting belief. So let's just go a little bit deeper. This will make a whole lot more sense if I do that. So CBT is vast. And one of the really cool things about it is that within our thoughts, right? We know that we need to correct the limiting beliefs because if we don't correct the limiting beliefs, and these are typically our automatic thoughts. So these are thoughts, something happened a long, long time ago. We created beliefs about it and then it just became our reality. Yep. Now thought distortions, right? Go in with the thoughts. And so there's many different thought distortions and you're going to recognize some of them. So all or none thinking, should statements, mental filter. This is when we always focus on the negative, disqualifying the positive, Heaven's reward fallacy it has a lot to do with delayed gratification. We have personalization. We have blaming. We have jumping to conclusions. There's more. There's many, many more. So the idea is that typically the thoughts that we have are going to fall within one of these distorted thought patterns. Okay. So I think what you're asking, and correct me if I'm wrong. So if we are not aware of the thought, And that's why I really break it down and talk about thought distortions because those thoughts we're having. So if you just dump all your thoughts down and look at them, you could probably come up with a distortion in the ones that are limiting for you. There is some distortion there. Mm -hmm. When we do that process and we become aware, we take ownership to say, this thought is creating what for me? And the next part is with CBT is it's the feeling. So this distorted thought is creating this particular feeling. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times, individuals can't tell me what it's creating. And so we have to go through, okay, where is it in your body? What color is it? Right. Until they can actually name it. Okay. When they make that connection, when they can make that the thought is in fact creating the feeling, that's when the magic happens because that's when they start to take ownership for their thoughts and they can start to say, listen, this is an automatic thought. If I could create an automatic thought because I learned something years and years and years ago, and this just became a belief, huh, I could reverse it. So this is where we create alternative thoughts. So the work with CBT is to identify the limiting beliefs, the automatic thoughts. I like to throw in the thought distortion piece because I think it makes people feel empowered. And then from there, we say, okay, and it's creating this feeling. I have two choices. Do I want to feel this way or do I not want to feel this way? Right? If I don't want to feel this way, then we have to go back and we have to recreate something different that we feel. Now, here's the cool part. When I was a new coach, 
I was done there. I was done. I was like, okay, great. So let's create a new thought. Great. How do you feel? You feel good? Good. Look at your results. And I thought I was an awesome coach. No, I was just getting started. Mm -hmm. What I realized is that we have to then help the person process the emotion. Because if they can just tell you what the emotion is and decide they don't want to feel it and then change the thought to get a different emotion, I'm sorry, but that's tripping the wire. That's not going to fix the core problem. Versus if we say, listen, what's your, so I have people go through and I say, what's your most uncomfortable emotion? And everybody thinks it's going to be like dread and fear and all those things. Mine's Do you want to know what the most common one? Yours is anger. Okay. I have, a, I have to tell you something about anger. Don't let me forget because okay. it's so good. Mm-hmm. Mine is restlessness. Mm. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. It is the worst. It is so, because it's like, it's like I'm getting a tattoo for days and it's just scratching mm. and it's not going away and there's nothing that can take it away. It's restlessness for me. So anger, tell, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Mm. This really helps. So I'm hearing it's like that two-way street that mm-hmm. your emotions affect your thoughts, but your thoughts also affect your emotions. And so we have mm-hmm. to we have to approach it both ways. And I'm also of that same belief that it's not about bypassing. It's not about, okay, you're in these like lower frequency emotions, you know, whatever it may be, shame, despair, and then let's get you to joy. Like to me, that's if we're only focused on how do I raise my vibration, I think we're also bypassing what it is we're really feeling. So the work that I'm doing is like, we have to be able to get more comfortable sitting in the actual emotion. Not for a long period of time. I agree. It's like the intensity of an emotion's 90 seconds, but we have to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable before we try to transform or move it. Yeah. I love it. I love that you said anger because there's just one thing Tell that me. is super cool. So this changed everything for me when I learned this. And so I'm a person who never embraced my anger because I was always very much a people pleaser. I was the peacemaker in the family, mm-hmm. the whole bit. Don't ever call so me was, angry. Like, don't ever. <laughs> like, I, nope. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the really cool thing is that we get to embrace our anger. And particularly as women, we need to do it more. And what I like to say is that when you feel angry, it's actually an alarm clock going off saying a boundary was just crossed for you. And I think that it gives you empowerment to say, I need to trust myself here. I didn't do anything wrong here. My boundary was just crossed. So I can trust that it wasn't me that that did it. It wasn't my fault. I didn't cause it. I didn't create it. Because with anger, a lot of times there comes guilt. Because we think we're angry, but we're actually really angry at ourselves for something because we're blaming ourselves for something. But if we can say, no, listen, this anger that I feel, it is because a boundary has been crossed. And now when I feel anger, it's my alarm clock. I love that. Because to me, I'm also hearing when another person makes me angry, I don't have to look at them and like demonize them. It's, oh, they just crossed a boundary. And then you can ask yourself the question, was that boundary expressed? Did they even know that boundary existed? So it takes off some of that, like blaming another person as well. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's good. Takes the ownership back. You get to own your anger. You get to make, and so I say for women, it's honestly, when you said that, I was super pumped because I think having anger be a common emotion. A lot of women are, 
afraid to say mm-hmm. they don't want to be the one who has anger issues, but actually it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant for women. If women are angry, it's brilliant. And what you just said, like being able to channel that in a way, because you have to take emotional ownership for it because yes, it's not you're right. Demonizing the other person. No, we don't blame. We say, listen, there was a boundary neutral, yeah. right? Boundary. It's a boundary. It was crossed. Did I express it? Yes or no. If I did, fine. We take it up this way. If I didn't Mm -hmm. express it, fine. I probably need to let people know that I have this particular expectation. Mm -hmm. Mm, This is so good. Okay. The question I've been dying to ask you is about genes. And I heard you speak on this and then, of course, went down a rabbit hole and listened to some of your podcasts about it. So This was new information for me. So meeting you, I had never heard this before. So our genes can tell us some things about our emotions, about empathy, emotional eating. Bring us there. We want to go down the rabbit hole with you. I love this rabbit hole, by the way. It's one of my favorite ones to talk about. So, and let me just back it up for one second. The reason why I got interested in genetics, there's two reasons. So the first reason is because when I was going through a lot of that work on body acceptance and being able to help people meet their optimal health goals that aren't going to be what you find in a BMI chart, aren't going to be what you find in a magazine, aren't going to be the typical broadcasted, wow, this means true health. It was for people to really embrace who they were. And so why not figure out who you are at the cellular level? And that's what genetics does. We know things about ourselves that we otherwise would not know. And to be quite honest with you, it gives us a ton of validation. So that was the first part. The second part is my husband was already using genetic testing to help his patients get on the right medications. So he's fit therapy first, but when he prescribes medications, he wants to make sure that their genetics are going to be in alignment with being able to work with that medication. And a lot of times with psych meds, like you need to have particular genetic variants or not variants for a med to work. Like for example, SSRIs don't work for everybody. And Mm -hmm. that's why a lot of times he'll have people come for a second opinion and they wind up getting another diagnosis, but it's not another diagnosis. They're just not on the right med. Yeah. Okay. So that sparked my interest. So then what happened was I learned that you can actually test for health behaviors. Okay. So these were the things I was interested in. Emotional eating, overeating, stress response. Also, um, Besides the stress response, the idea of, you know, the empathy, like, because I knew there was an empathy gene, but I didn't really understand how was that impacted when we're talking about all this emotional stuff. I mean, I knew it was related, but I didn't really know. And so the way that I like to sum up my genetics talk is like this. A lot of times when I say there's a variant, I don't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Mm -hmm. I just mean that the way your DNA is coded you're going to respond differently in terms of certain mental health behaviors. So I want to, let me start off with BDNF first, because I think this one's really cool. So BDNF is brain derived neurotrophic factor. And essentially this molecule, if you can think of having like miracle grow for your brain, this is what BDNF is. Okay. And so it allows us to soak in memories. It allows us to retain memories it allows us to have a more even mood. And the idea is that some of us have a variant where we actually have low BDNF. And so our memory is impaired. We don't have even temperament really. And there are things we can do. So these are my people where I'm saying, listen, exercise is non-negotiable for you because BDNF increases when we exercise. And also like there's, there's supplements you can take, which 
you know, for example, like microdose lithium. And it's not the regular lithium you're thinking of. It's like the kind you go to CVS and buy. And these things really nourish the miracle grow in your brain. Okay, so this is like the first thing. So this kind of starts us off like, you know, and it changes people's opinions of exercise. If I have somebody who says, I'm not going to exercise, I don't have time. And I say, okay, great. Do you want to feel, how do you want to feel? Do you want to, are you feeling good? Because if you're feeling good, don't exercise. And their BDNF is a variant. And they realize after they exercise, they see a tremendous improvement in how they're feeling and what they're thinking. So we have BDNF. And then the next thing that's really interesting is everybody's heard, many people have heard of dopamine. Okay. So dopamine is a feel good hormone. And a lot of times what happens is if we're not feeling particularly well, we're going to take on habits and behaviors that aren't going to really serve our health, right? But they're going to create a big dopamine hit. So things like processed foods, things like social media, things like those, your favorite YouTube videos that are going really, really fast all the time. Amazon, I love an Amazon shopping cart, alcohol. So the idea, sugar is a great one too. So the idea is that we are going to go to these behaviors to get these hits of dopamine to make us feel better. Now, some people process dopamine differently. Everybody processes dopamine a little bit differently and there's some variants. Mm -hmm. So COMPT, C-O-M-T is the gene where dope impacts dopamine. Okay. And so if you have, you can have a met met variant or a val val variant. And the idea is that was one of the variants causes breakdown of dopamine very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what that means is that you need to keep producing more and more dopamine because you're breaking it down. You see this in ADHD a lot. Okay. So they're breaking down their dopamine so, so fast that they need constant stimulation and movements and turning their head and being fidgety to create more. And then you have some people where the dopamine doesn't break down fast enough and it's lingering. And these are your more anxious people because in general, when they're not stressed, they're fine, but you stress them out and you're going to see anxiety come out. And so I bring this up because just the way that we respond, okay, knowing what your dopamine is doing is going to potentially give you more awareness for how you might approach managing emotions. So then when we go down a little bit further, we have our OXTR gene, and this is our empathy gene. Okay, so the idea is that some of us we call if you're extremely empathetic, you're called thin skinned. And Mm -hmm. if you're if you don't have the variant that would make you an empath, it's thick skinned. Now, here's the interesting thing. And I'm going to, by the way, put it all together at the end, but I just want to give you the components of what, what I look for. That's okay. Yeah, love it. So the idea of OXTR is if you have that variant, you're very much influenced by the different emotions that are floating around socially. So your friend could come in hot and they're angry and you're going to totally feel that. And so one of the things that I teach in my programs is something called protection for empaths because we actually do have to protect ourselves a little bit differently. So this is really important because remember what I said, if you're already not feeling great, because maybe you have a dopamine that's not adequate, and then now you're taking on all the negative emotions because there's no tools in place for protection. Now you're feeling even worse than normal. And so you're going to be way more likely to take want to take on some unhealthy behaviors, which moves me to there is an emotional eating gene. Okay. And this is the ANKK1. What this says is that your dopamine reward system is wired in a way that if food is involved to make you feel better, you're going to feel it stronger than other people. 
So you're going to be more likely to eat emotionally because it very quickly, it trips the receptors in a way where your dopamine can bind super quickly to those receptors. And it's like your brain thinks of food and you feel better even before eating the food. And so we're more prone to eat emotionally. So you can see then if you're taking on all the emotions of the world, okay, and you know what's going to make you feel better, you better believe you're going to be more of an emotional eater. And so I think a lot of people completely blame themselves and say, oh my gosh, I'm flawed. I'm weak. Something's wrong with me. I can't talk about my emotional eating, but there's a huge reason. And I see this all the time in my programs. Okay. So then we move into something called the MC4R gene. MC4R is an overeating gene. So if we have a variant in our MC4R, we do not have normal satiety. Yep. And so this is, so you, you know, and this is the example I give, you go out with your naturally thin friend for lunch and they order a burger and you order a grilled chicken salad and you're already kind of like pissed because you ordered the grilled chicken salad. I'm just kidding. Now I love grilled chicken salads, but, but you know, the idea is that like you may have been living in diet culture, which felt restrictive. They haven't, they ordered the burger, they take five bites of the burger and they wrap it up and they're good to go. And there is zero emotion involved with it. And you have no idea how they just did that. You have no clue because that is not your existence. The idea is that they have normal satiety to the point where it turns it off. Like when you are done eating, they know. But if you're sitting there saying like, I can't stop, I'm telling you right now, there's probably a variant in your MC4R. I actually do have that variant. Now I have tricks. I know exactly what to tell people. Protein is huge for this, by the way, mm-hmm. because I've had to deal with it. And until I knew that's what I had, it was not very validating. Now I feel very validated. And probably the last gene I would mention is the cortisol receptor hormone. And so cortisol is our stress hormone. It's one of our stress hormones. And when we're stressed, we release it. People with a variant in the cortisol receptor hormone gene release extra cortisol. So when we release extra cortisol, we're in fight or flight. So how this pertains and how it affects us from a health standpoint is that it actually raises blood sugar levels. So anything can cause stress. So people, this is interesting, people who do fasting, individuals who overexercise, you're constantly eating in a calorie deficit, you're not getting enough sleep, you're emotionally stressed. If you have this variant, you release more cortisol. And then what happens, your blood sugar goes up, it also prevents insulin, which is the hormone that brings blood sugar down from being released. So over time, we eventually wind up having to produce more insulin, and then we become insulin resistant. And so it's this huge health issue. And so if you can imagine, if I can put all of that together, let's pretend you had a variant in every single one of those. And I have people who do. Yeah. Okay. So you're super, you're not getting enough sleep because you're working too much and something's going on in your life. You don't have any tools to process your emotion and you have a variant in your cortisol. You now have extra cortisol. So you have this higher blood sugar. And so you're hungrier more often because that's what happens when our blood sugar is higher because it, it goes high and it goes low and it goes high and it goes low and it kind of brings on this enhanced hunger issue. So we have that going on. And now we don't, we're not exercising because we're so stressed and who has the time and we have a BDNF variant. Okay, well, great, because now we can't remember anything we're doing. We really don't have a, you know, our mood doesn't feel super stable. And not to mention, we also have an issue with not making enough dopamine. So now we're looking for our cell phone all the time to try to hit it up and shop on Amazon because we feel so bad. There's nothing else we can do. And now we're blaming ourselves because we're not paying attention to our kids because we'd rather be on our phone and we have no idea why. 
And then we're surrounded by all these people because we're people pleasers and we really, really want to help everyone because we're empaths. And so we're taking on all their emotions, but we already feel horrible. We have too much cortisol. Our mood is unstable. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to help everybody else. Okay, there you go. Empty cup. But the other issue is what do we turn to? Well, we have to feel better and we have to feel better quick because we don't have time to do all the things that we really need to do for ourselves. So what we do is we go ahead and we hit up the pantry, we get some chocolate, we get more social media, we do all the things that are going to make us feel good. And oh, by the way, we have a variant in our emotional eating gene. So now we're eating all the things we're completely off the bandwagon, we just went into a binge. And we feel bad about ourselves, we finally got Mm. felt a little bit better for about 10 minutes. And then the thing ends up with the idea that we can't control our satiety anyway. So the next binge is about to happen in about two hours. So that's kind of a summary of what can happen based on all these genetic components when we're dealing with stress. And I think by having awareness of each individual one, it completely empowers people. And it basically says, taking care of your health is Mm non-negotiable. That was oh such a ride you took us on. So this is similar with everything I feel about emotions is the knowledge is actually the power. That the more, if you know and understand this about yourself, you can then work with it in a way that if you have no clue. So how does, is this an easy thing to get tested for? Like, what does that process look like? Totally easy. Amazon.com. When you're not feeling so great, go and know. It's called, so I'll tell you the company because um, I don't have any financial relationship. However, I love the company. So it's called Genomind. So G-E-N-O-M-I-N-D. If you literally go to Amazon and type in mental health map, you can order one for about 250 bucks. It's a cheek swab. It's not a blood draw. You do the cheek swab, you send it back, you get your information. The beautiful thing is I know the founders of the company, actually one of the scientists who created it has come into my groups to actually give lectures. You can get a consult with him just by buying the kit. And um, I did run a program on this and I do it from time to time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have one currently running. However, I will tell you just by getting the kit and having the consult, you could, and listening to your podcast right now, literally you could put together a lot of information about yourself. Mm, So amazing. And so this person that you just walked us through, if they had all of these genes turned on in this way, where do you suggest they start? So the first step would be take the test, have this awareness, but is there hope for that person? Is there hope for the person who is deeply sensitive and empathetic and overeats? Because it, that's what our genes are telling us to do. This makes so much sense. So what, what would you say? What would you say is next? So good. And I love your question because I would love to say it's loaded, but it's not because there's a clear answer. It's not an easy answer but I will go through all of it because there's a, there's a solution. There's, there's strategies for every single one because I wouldn't tell you the data, but couldn't help you with the data, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's useless, right? So why would I want you to know if I can't help you with it? So the idea is this, that I've never seen one person have all those variants. Yeah. Right. I've never seen that. Right. Yep. So typically they'll have what I call is my trifecta. So the person coming to me mm-hmm. is going to have typically they're going to have their dopamine is going to be off they're going to have their emotional eating gene off. They're going to have their overeating gene off. Mm -hmm. Those are my top three usually. And they're always typically empathetic. So maybe those four, right? And so the idea is, yes, there is. So the first idea is awareness. And I think it's really 
coming to a place of forgiveness and compassion first. Mm. So I think the work is, okay, this is where we're at. This is what we're dealing with. Let me clear out the filthy garage of thoughts of all the things that I was blaming myself for. We need to release that right now because we didn't have the data. Those were old beliefs before we have the data. Now we have the data. So it's this kind of romance you have to create with yourself and you have to be willing to have your own back on the journey. So then the next piece is just by committing to very simple health strategies, you will pretty much overcome every single one of them. And so let me explain. And that's why one of the reasons why my program is created the way it is. So the idea is, so it's mental, emotional, physical, and social health. That's how I talk about optimal health. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about physical health, right? I don't talk about weight. I could care less what you weigh. I'm talking about body composition and I don't even care what your percent body fat is. I care if your skeletal muscle is greater than your body fat. Okay. And that's a very reasonable goal for most people. It really is. I mean, a lot of the women that are trying to even maybe get leaner in my groups, they're already there. And then we have to go through this whole thing of, okay, great. You can, and are you willing to live that lifestyle? But the whole idea behind that is when we're talking about the health behaviors is if they are trying to lose body fat, Okay, if they have a variant in the overeating gene, that's the biggest one we're going to have to deal with. So we need to really focus on hunger hormone regulation. And this is going to have everything to do with our, uh, it's going to be protein, it's going to be decreasing added sugar, it's going to be limiting alcohol, I didn't say get rid of alcohol, but it's going to be limiting it. And then it's going to be also kind of queuing into your hunger cues. Now this is where it gets a little tricky. So Getting hungry first is not the problem for people with a variant in their overeating gene, the MC4R, but observing for fullness is. Yep. And so what we do is we say, listen, here's your protein requirement for the day. I don't care about anything else, but I need you to hit this one goal. When they do that, we are a lot, we are able to help them really control that satiety more. So it's a lot more of the hunger hormone regulation. And then there's a lot of different fancy terms like ghrelin is our hunger hormone and leptin is the opposing hormone that is stored in our body fat. And the idea is when we lose body fat, that leptin level gets lower, which makes our ghrelin level get higher. Mm. And then we get hungrier. So we have to help them manage their hunger, which we're definitely able to easily do. The next part is really going to be the mindset work. And when I talk about the mindset work, so a lot of it is when I talk about that dopamine, those dopamine levels being off, okay, they have to be diving into what are the beliefs that are limiting them to make them feel the way that they are so they can be completely aware of the existence that they're creating. So when we go into the mental health piece, it's about being completely aware of those thoughts. And that's going to really help with even like the BDNF I talked about, even the, in then the dopamine. And there's other ones, but we don't have to go too deep into that. The emotional work is going to be the emotional processing. So emotional eating, even if you're a predisposition to that, that's not a sentence for you. Like you just have to reprogram your brain. That's mm -hmm. all you have to do. What I'm saying is that it's not like you're going to have a problem. What it says is you're predisposed to want to use food in this way and we can switch that behavior. And we do that by what we talked about earlier. We decrease the intensity of what they're feeling so they can start to slowly allow that emotion in. Mm -hmm. And we do that time and time and time and time and time again. We do more work with urges. So we learn how to really like allow urges and what that looks like. And then I'd say over about six month time period, it takes about six months, they're reprogrammed. We can reprogram them. So there's hope there for sure. And then what I'd say is like the empathy piece 
that's like a lot of work again with the social health, right? So the social health I throw in there because that's boundaries. Mm. So we have to be able to protect our emotions with those boundaries, especially if you're an empath. I mean, because you are going to be impacted. I actually work very little one-on-one now, very little for this reason. I am so empathetic that it is an energy drain for me. And what Mm -hmm. happens is I can't serve my groups where I have more impact in the way that I really, really want to. So I do a lot of group-based work because I have extremely high energy in a group. A one-on-one, I'm taking it in. And so I do take about four clients a year. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. I'm thinking about a lot of the fertility clients that I have and how those one-on-one conversations, like I can only do so many in a day or in a week because of that being so empathetic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have to take care of myself in all of these ways to be able to even have those conversations. Yeah. That's absolutely right. In fact, some of my closest clients, so I also have a mastermind group, which is a really close group. And I have, uh, they see all my different one-on-one coaches for their one-on-one coaching. Yeah. And then I do quarterly sessions with them. Amazing. And that was, well, that was a big change because I was doing all of their sessions before. And I actually had to be really honest and say that for me to continue this work, I can't do it this, this is way. Absolutely the way. And they get it. Like yep. they totally get it. And they still have plenty of access to me and the whole bit. And I mean, they, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing, but that actual really getting in there to me and my personal life and what it does for my energy. Because if you tell me I'm in it with you. And so you're right. Yeah. I can absolutely yep. relate to that too. Mm-hmm. Where, how can people find you? What are you working on? How, what do you want to share with the world? And we'll have everything in the show notes for you. Thank you so much. Well, so my brand that I've been operating under for years is Life Coaching for Women Physicians. And we're about to make a big announcement we're actually rebranding, which is amazing. It feels so great to me. It feels authentic. And while we do maintain, you know, we have amazing physician clients and we have physician specific programs because we offer continuing medical education in our programs. I'm actually creating a program right now that's going to be able to serve all women mm. wh- who want optimal health, mental, emotional, physical, social, optimal health. And we're actually doing it in a really cool way. So um, we're going to be doing our business as the Fit Collective. And essentially, we have just created a custom app. And so we're going to be able to reach women where we're right there with you in a group setting based, you know, with the app. And we're going to be able to take all of our principles and put them right in there. So that's coming in about August. But right now, lifecoachingforwomenphysicians.com is my website. We're going to be shifting it soon. I do have a podcast. So all these announcements will be on the podcast as well. Again, it's called Life Coaching for Women Physicians for now. Again, we're going through this big rebrand, which feels so good because We'll still serve our physician clients in the way that need, they need to be served. And all the work we've done for the past six to seven years, it just can't be hidden anymore. I mean, it is really powerful. And so we just launched our men's program. So we have a program for men now. It's not physician specific. It's called Fit Dad Collective. And we have a physical therapist. My husband's a psychiatrist. I'm obesity medicine. And we all work together to serve men. Mm. And then the program for women will be called Fit Woman Collective. Mm exercise, nutrition, hunger, hormone regulation, mindset work within a community. And we're going to price that extremely reasonable. One of the things we really decided it's super important for us to have this accessible to people, like at a price that is, 
you know, it's a no brainer price because yeah. it's that important. It is that important. Yeah. Mm, when does that launch? I'm I'm super intrigued for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm hoping to have it up by August, maybe like even late July. I want to have it up ASAP because we got, we're ready to go for the rebrand. We just have to get our new website up and Mm -hmm. then the program's ready. I mean, it's pretty awesome. So this particular program, the Fit Woman Collective, essentially what you're looking at is it'll be run by myself and then my pelvic floor physical therapist. And so what you can expect is when you go into the app, you have your monthly programming and essentially what it is, it's, uh, so it's Daria, my other exercise coach, Margie, and then myself, we do one pelvic floor PT, uh, 30 minute session every week, and then two full body strength training workouts every single week. And we actually record these on demand. So we do like the mindset coaching while we're working out with you. So that's three days a week. And then we do every week, you get a little snippet of uh, a lot of the, I don't want to call it content. That sounds boring. You get to be with us every week as we release something really special to you. And then we do a couple of coaching Q&A calls, live calls every single month. And then we're within a community setting. So you get to have, there's a discussion board and we don't allow, like, it's for like people that want to grow. Like we don't tolerate. We're like, no, this is a safe zone. Mm -hmm. We're really proud, but we're going to be offering it for $59 a month. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like, and we are so pumped that we're like, we're so excited. I've had other memberships. I've had every price point. Yep. And what I can tell totally. you is this, this work needs to be to the masses of women who care about their health. Mm, this is amazing. This was such an incredible conversation. Let's finish with a couple rapid fires. Okay. Awesome. What is your favorite book? I have to tell you that um, I don't have one because I don't read that much. Yeah, great answer. We'll take it. We'll take it. So the next question, what are you currently reading? Are you currently reading anything? I mean, can I tell you about the book that I've purchased but have not yet read? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me recommend it to you all as well. So it's called The Comeback Summer by Allie Brady. And it's essentially about two sisters who one is naturally thin and one is not naturally thin. And it's all about this journey and their different experiences. And it comes to like this part about body acceptance. But I can tell you the author, she actually wrote, I'm getting chills because she actually had an article published in the Today in Today. And essentially, she described how as she was writing the book, she still doesn't have that body acceptance she wish she wishes she does have. And she never wrote a character where she didn't have it figured out and she had to be that character in the book mm. and she still hasn't gotten it. And I think that's where we all live and lie. And so I, I have the book ready to rock the comeback summer. Okay. And I, I plan to read it. Okay. Maybe at some point. I like it. We'll, we'll check it out too. What is one thing you know for sure? One thing that I know for sure is that we just have to trust the process. Mm. because there's no definites. I mean, we think there's a destination. Is there? I don't know. I feel like it's all about embracing the journey, trust the process, learning like the, the little pivots, the turns, the twists, making relationships, the feelings up and down, all those things. That's the magic. So it's yeah. you have to trust the process, enjoy the journey. Mm. 
Yeah, that's big. That's big. And do you have a favorite quote, something you'd like to leave us with? Yeah. So you are a masterpiece and you can also be a work in progress. Mm. Wow. Thank you, Allie, so much for this conversation. There was just so much wealth of information and just further confirmation of it's all connected the mind, the body, the emotions, all of it. And we need to look at all of these pieces. So I'll have links to everything in the show notes, but thank you, thank you, thank you for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.